Well, as we continue uh, to worship him today, we're going to transition into the, the word. And sometimes we kind of compartmentalize church, don't we? Like, this was the singing time. This is the talking time. But, but I want us to understand that this is really all one opportunity where we're in communion with God. That, that some of that this morning is that we got to declare and speak and praise. And some of it is now we get to, to sit and listen and think and wait. But regardless of, of what one of those things we're doing, the point is to lean in and say, all right, God, you got me. My mind is on you, whether I'm praising or whether I'm receiving. I'm here for you. Speak to me, listen to me, change me. And I, I hope that that is your, your heartbeat this morning. And, and the passage that we're going to look at today is in the book of Nehemiah. And that's the guy we're talking about. And Nehemiah was given an incredible task by God. See, all of God's people were destroyed, defeated, and taken captive in another country. And their home city was destroyed and the wall around it. But when God frees them and they go home, Nehemiah is given the task of you need to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. It's hugely important, but it also represents more than just rocks that make a wall. It represented a restart. It represented redemption and restoration. It represented future. It represented peace and prosperity and health. And so that's Nehemiah's job. It's a pretty big job. And so his, his whole goal in the book of Nehemiah is to recruit leaders and to train them and get them to do whatever is necessary so that they can fulfill that vision. But as we know, when you read a story from the Bible, it's never as simple as that. And they run into some opposition. They run into some problems. This is what Nehemiah 4, starting at verse 10, says. As then the people of Judah began to complain, the workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We'll, we'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again, they're going to come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. And then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. He's pulling out some Braveheart-type stuff right there. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding a weapon. And all the builders had a sword belted to their side. And the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. And so I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding and then God will fight for us. Verse 21 says, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset and half the men were always on guard. The new King James says, we labored in the work and half the men held spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. Let's pray. Father, we invite you not to be here. We know you're here, but we invite you to speak to us. 
We're, we're admitting and confessing right now in this moment that we are willing to hear you, that we want you to speak, we want to be challenged, we want to grow, we want to change, we, we want from you what it is we need to hear from you today. And so God, our prayer is that you would encourage, that you would convict, that you would uplift, that you would help, that you would comfort, that, that you would, whatever it is we need in our hearts, I pray that you would do that today. Holy Spirit, speak, move, change, and transform. You're good and we love you. And we pray it all in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, how are we doing today? There are a few of you in here. Wow. There are seats in the front if you are a person still looking for a seat. I know, it's the front, but I'm sorry. Uh, that's where all the cool kids sit and or the latecomers. <laughs> um, well, it's good to see you today. Thank you for being here. I'm sorry it's plus 39 and muggy. It should be plus 15. It's the fall. Um, what we're going to talk about today is spear holders. I want to talk about what it means to be a spear holder. And, and for Nehemiah, spear holders were the guys that came along and said, listen, I'll do whatever it takes so that we can get the job done. If you need me to work on the wall, I'll do it. If you need me to hold a spear, I'll do it. If you need me to hold a tool in one hand and a spear in the other hand, I'll do that too. Whatever it takes for us to get the vision accomplished, I'm there. We're going to talk about what it means to be spear holders. See, because every organization that's trying to move forward, every church that's got a vision, that, that's chasing after something big, needs spear holders. It needs people who will say, I will do whatever it takes. I will serve in whatever capacity. I will give whatever I've got so that we can see our vision get reached. Every church needs its spear holders. At Crosspoint, we've got a whole bunch of them. We've got people who have stepped up and said, I'll serve. What? Some of them pour coffee. Some of them hold babies. Some of them move a video camera. Some of them play an instrument. Some of them shake hands. But we've got a whole bunch of people who have stepped up and said, look, I'll do whatever it takes so that we can keep declaring Jesus' name for the good of our city and the hope of our world. I'll do it. Different people doing different things, but it's for the same vision. And that, that vision requires a whole bunch of spear holders. A whole bunch of people who will do whatever it takes, right? Because Nehemiah, for him and his crew, that wall doesn't get built if everyone showed up and said, well, I'll just let someone else carry the, the load. I'll hope, I'll, I'll just kind of move off into the shadows and hope someone else kind of picks up my slack. The wall doesn't get built. The, the wall doesn't get built if everyone just kind of hopes that someone else will do it. The wall doesn't get built if people say, I'm tired, I'm too busy, I'm too young, I'm too old, I don't have what it takes, I'm not skilled, I haven't been trained. That wall does not get built. See, he needed everyone to come together. They were farmers. They weren't construction workers. They weren't architects and engineers. But he said, listen, can you hold a spear? All right, you're in. They just did whatever it took to get the job done. Nehemiah didn't need spectators, he needed spear holders. So does the kingdom of God. It needs people who won't stand on the sidelines and hope that someone else will do the work for us, but it's requiring everyone to stand up and say, all right, I'll, I'll do whatever it is I can do. Even if it's not glamorous, even if you just need me to stand and hold something, I'll do it. But there's always challenges that come along with that. 
Uh, we see one of the first ones in verse 10. said, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We're never going to build this wall by ourselves. Have you ever looked at a job and thought, nah, no way. This is too big, too hard, too complicated. I'm only one person. I haven't been trained. I don't know what I'm doing. I just, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to get this all done. Have you ever been in that situation, circumstance? Most of us have. Uh, we were there this week a little bit as a family. Um, everything started back up this week, right? So we had three girls going to school, two different schools, a baby going to a new daycare, a wife working on the, the south side, and I'm working on the, the north side, and it's just all of our life requires scheduling and juggling and math. I didn't think my life would require math, but it does, and it's awful. But here's the thing. The day before all of that is supposed to start, on the holiday, no less, uh, everything's starting back up except our van. And see, a couple years ago, we realized our life was so chaotic, we would have to bite the bullet and become a two-vehicle family. And so we bought this old tank of a van, and it's just the worst, because I hate vehicles and they hate me. But the convenience was magnificent. And we realized very quickly last week on Monday that we're in trouble because our van was completely dead. And it was our battery, it was toast, which isn't a huge you know, a hugely complex thing to fix, except nothing's open. And because the battery was broken, uh, we have those ridiculous automatic sliding doors in the back. Anyone got a van with those? Just trade it in now. Just do it. They're awful. They all break. Just, it's just when. And, and so what happened is that one of them wouldn't shut tight. It was latched open. There was a crack. You could actually see through the van when you were driving it, which is great when it's loaded with children. They're like, this is fun. Uh, the, the other door, however, was completely open, like halfway, like this much of the door was open. And even when you boosted the van, they wouldn't work. It was just we were stuck with a van that didn't have working doors. And so now we've got a huge schedule, six people in a Honda Civic. And we were looking at our issue and our situation thinking, we can't do this. The math doesn't add up. There's too many things to be done. No one's open. I have no idea what I'm doing. I can't fix this. We can't clone ourselves because it hasn't been invented yet. And even then, I don't know if it's scripturally okay, but we'll get there someday. Like, it was just chaos. We're like, what in the world are we going to do? Have you ever had a situation that you looked at and you're like, this is too big for me. I'm one person. We eventually, you know, we got borrowed vehicles and worked it all out and fixed a stinking van. I got to drive from Pontiac to the other side of the city with my doors wide open, though, which is a fun way to pretend like you own a Jeep. <laughs> I was like, woo! So this is what it's like to have a nice vehicle. It's great. I'm passing cars, and they're looking in at me, sitting down. I'm like, hey! <laughs> Super. Sometimes you can look at a job, and it's too big, and it seems impossible, and too chaotic, and, and there's just not enough of you, and you're not prepared, and you don't know what you're doing. And so we often complain, just like God's people did. I did, sorry. Um, so God's people are looking at Nehemiah just like that. You want us to do, you want us to build a wall. Like, do you know how big this wall is? Where are we going to get the materials? We're, we're not prepared. We're not trained. We have enemies all around us. This just, I'm tired. I got blisters on my hands. I threw my back out. You don't have any chiropractors on site. I can't work under these conditions. This is an outrage. That's what all of the people are saying, and it's easy to look that way at the church sometimes. Like when you look at the Cross Point fall calendar and you think next week, they had a Saturday night and a Sunday morning and another Sunday morning and another church on the south side. Brewer, do you have any idea what you're doing? 
Do you have any idea what you've asked us to do? Every one of those services needs coffee people and kids ministry and a worship team and a media team and, and greeters and ushers. And as, Do you know who we are? There's only so many of us, and we're not professionals, and we're busy, and I'm too young, and I'm too old, and I got too much going on. I just, we're looking at this job like, man, this is way too big. I don't think you know what you're doing. Now, side point, we do have chiropractors on site, so that's good. My answer for us today is the same answer that Nehemiah gave his people. Because see, this wasn't just about a wall. They were also fighting an enemy. They had an enemy that did not want to see them get that wall built. They had an enemy that was trying to oppose them, discourage them, and distract them. And in fact, the chapter opens with the enemy standing on the sidelines, watching them build the wall and making fun of them for it. One of the guys in verse 3 is like, you fox couldn't even walk across that without the wall falling down. It's like, we've gotten way better at insults since 400 BC. Right? But we're in the same spot as a church. We've got a huge vision, but we also have an enemy. We have an enemy. Our enemy is not people, but our enemy is the devil, the adversary, the liar, and all of his forces and principalities that want to do nothing more than to discourage us, to lie about us, to doubt us, to to make us question everything, to make us think that we can't do it. It's too hard. It's too big. There's only so many of us. Our our real enemy is the enemy because we've got a big vision. We have 55,000 people in our city who don't know Jesus. 55,000 within like a 15-minute drive of this building who don't know Jesus. That's our job. That's our vision. That's what we're called to do. And we've got an enemy. So number one, yeah, it's a huge job. Number two, we have an enemy. And this is how Nehemiah responds to his people. And it's how he responds with us today also. Verse 14. He says, then as I looked over the situation, I I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. That's step one. When, When you're stuck and overwhelmed and faced with a daunting task, he says, don't forget about the Lord. Right? He, he's kind of the key factor in all of this. He is great and glorious and awesome. Don't you remember what he's done for us throughout history? Don't you remember all the miracles he's performed, the way that he's got us through so many circumstances, so many situations? We're not new to slavery. We've been there, done that, and he rescued us then. What makes you think he's not going to show up now? He says, remember the Lord. And that's step one for us. Remember, we're not in this alone. But God is with us. He's in us. He's helping us, speaking to us, leading us, guiding us, protecting us, providing for us. He is the key factor in all of this. But then Nehemiah says after that, he says, and fight. And fight for your brothers and your daughters and your families. So you see what he's saying there is, one, there is a spiritual component where God is big and he can do all of the things, and yet at the same time, so get out there and do the work. That's kind of an interesting concept, isn't it? Number one, you're serving a great and glorious God who could do it all if he wanted to, but he asks us to do it. Right? If God wanted to build that wall, he could have done it like that. If God wanted to defeat those enemies, he could have done it like that. But what he says is, remember, I'm with you, so go do the work. Go pick up a spear, go pick up a sword, go pick up a tool, and let's get the job done. Remember God, go do the work. Remember God, now go fight. 
See, there's something to that. We, we serve this incredible God who can do all the things himself, but he still gets us to do the work, which means there must be purpose in us doing the work. There must be value and growth and good that comes when God's people do God's work with God's help. And, and there's parallels to the church there, right? We have an enemy, we have a big job, and God says, all right, I'm with you, but get at it. I'm with you, but you guys need to get out there and go do the work. I'm with you, but let's get after it. We're, we're not invited to sit back and watch God do all of the work. God says, no, I am in you. Go do all of the work. Right. right? When Jesus left, he gave us the Holy Spirit. Every one of the believers in the world has the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit is called what? The helper. So he came to help us do the work. There's another scripture that says, so don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. And so we've got this call on our life, all of us, to go do the work. And sometimes, sometimes we wrongly assume, well, what can I do? I'm just, I'm just one person, I'm just a normal average, I'm not professionally trained, I'm not in ministry, I don't know what it is you're asking me to do, right? That's for professionals, and now, there are some jobs in the world that require specialists. You wouldn't want someone who wasn't a professional to do that job. I don't want to go to a doctor who printed his, his diploma off of the internet, and it's hanging on a frame on his wall. What school did you go to? Oh, I just downloaded this. Anyway, we're going to rip you open, do some stuff inside. It's like, no, no, you're not. Right? If you go to a mechanic, he's got his head under your hood, and he's ripping all the stuff out of your engine, you're like, how long have you been doing this? Oh, I don't. I work at the call center down the street. Never done this in my life. You're like, no, some jobs require you to be a specialist, to be a professional at the job you're doing. But when it comes to kingdom work, listen, it does not require you to be a professional. All it requires is that you are willing. That's it. That is your one prerequisite. Now, in the kingdom, there is specific work that should be done by specific people. God even gifted us accordingly and said, look, some are pastors, some are teachers, some are leaders, some are prophets, some are generous, some are giving, some are... But the point is, regardless of your specific gift, you are all called to do kingdom work. It just might look a little bit different than what someone else is doing. You're all called, every one of you. If you're a follower of Christ, you get called. Sometimes we use that word call. You'll hear pastors say it. Well, I felt called to ministry. And, and they were. That's scriptural, right? That, yeah, they, they got a call to ministry. But when you speak like that, sometimes what happens is you get into this weird mode where people assume, well, there's the called, the professionals, and the specialists, and then there's just everyone else. And we got two compartments, and all these people are like, well, we pay them to do that. They went to school for it. And, and that's not remotely biblical. We all do the work together. We all got called into the ministry. Every one of us. And some of you are thinking, God has never called me. He's never even texted me. He doesn't know my number. I don't know what you're talking about. So a few examples from the church, because listen, I don't want to wrongly commute that, co communicate that only certain people can do the work of the church. No, the whole church does the work of the church. Acts 2.1. On the day of Pentecost, what's that word? All. All the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on, what's that word? Each of them. And what's that word? Everyone 
present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. I know it's a crazy passage, but the point I want us to see there is that it's all, it's everyone, it was each, they got the Holy Spirit. There is no one in the New Testament who entered into the kingdom that also did not have a call to do ministry. Not one. Another example, uh, if you read later on in that passage, verse 42 and on, it says, all the believers devoted themselves to teaching, all the believers were involved in fellowship, all the believers shared everything, all the believers worshiped and generously gave. Over and over again, we get the words, everyone, each, all. 1 Corinthians 12, another example, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body, so it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, some are free, but we have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Jump down a few verses in verse 27, and it also says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is part of it. I'm sorry if you're looking for an asterisk this morning, there's not one. Each, all, everyone, over and over and over, all throughout the entire New Testament, all the believers were filled with the Spirit, and all the believers did the work of the church. Some were called to be pastors and apostles and teachers, some were called to do other things, but everyone got called. Everyone in the church was expected to be a contributor to the body of Christ, regardless of what your gifts were. Some people did certain things, and other people did what was necessary. I'm sure it wasn't glamorous for some of Nehemiah's people just to stand there and hold a spear, but it mattered. It helped get the vision done. No one complained about it. Just, no, we're going to do this. I'm going to hold a spear. There's no separation in the Bible of Christians who are called to serve and some who aren't. If you made the decision, you're called. So I want you to understand a few things today. One of them is that. The other one is that if God calls us to do the work, then it must mean there's something that happens in us and to us when we do the work. See, when you do the work, you change. You grow. You're strengthened. You're challenged. All right, when, when you become invested in something, then you're going to get more out of it. That's why he gets us to do the work. We learn trust. We learn dependence. We learn reliance. We learn to step out and take risks. We learn how to be stretched. We learn how to get pushed. If everything was easy and God did it all, what would happen to our faith and our growth? So he says, no, you got to get out there. Remember that I'm mighty. Now go do the work. Now, I understand I say this stuff all the time. Right, Mark, yeah, we know, you should serve. Yeah, I know, Mark, you should give. And sometimes it feels like, I, th- I think you guys feel like I'm like a TV salesman. Like, for the, if you just give your tithe and serve in kids' ministry, then you too can enjoy the benefits of, like, that's not what we're doing. And, and whenever, listen, whenever we ask you to do something like that, it's never because we want something from you, it's because we want something for you. Right, that's the point. That's the point of it. There's something in it for us when we serve like this. And so instead of hearing me talk about this, you're going to hear a whole bunch of other people from the church talk about this. And you're going to hear what it means for them to serve, what it's done for them, how they serve, how God has changed them. It's awesome. We're going to hear from a bunch of different cross-pointers in these next few minutes. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear their stories and the impact of service. First person we're going to hear from today is Elizabeth Nason. Hi, my name is Elizabeth, and I am a volunteer here at Crosspoint. And I think some of the things that 
enticed me to volunteer was it gave me a sense of ownership in the church. Suddenly I became invested in where the church was going and the kingdom work, not just in the church, but what and through the church that we were doing. So that completely changed how I thought of Crosspoint, not just a church that I attended, but a church that I was a part of. And I think the other thing that I really learned when I was away at New York last week or a couple weeks ago was it brings community. You meet people who you wouldn't on any given service. There's so many people and if you're just sitting in a chair, you don't have that chance to connect. And so it's really about community when you volunteer and you change people's lives, especially your own. You never know who you're going to touch. So go out and volunteer. That's awesome. Here's why Elizabeth is fantastic. Um, and she's here, and I won't point her out, but she's fantastic. And um, Elizabeth was coming to Crosspoint and realized that it wasn't enough to be an attender. She didn't want to just come. She wanted to be a part of what was going on. And as soon as she started to serve, she uses words like invested. She uses words like ownership. Like, I'm a part of this. I'm playing a role in this. And, and it changed everything for her. Listen, she lives 40 minutes away. Right? That's one way. In the February month when it's like minus 30 and she's on media, she's waking up at some insane hour of the day, not just to come to church, but to serve her church. Because she understands what it means when you serve and when you give. I also love it because she's a quiet personality. And sometimes the temptation for quiet personalities is just to sit back and hope other people come talk to you. Hope that, no, I can't, I'm not going to do that. I'm too quiet. There's no place for me. And as soon as she started to serve, she started to meet people. She started to get connected. She started to find community. She started to build some relationships, right? Sometimes we get the wrong mentality of like, I came to church today and no one even talked to me. Now, like if you're new and someone ta didn't talk to you today, that's awful. I hope someone talks to you before you leave today. But if you're not new, if you've been here for four years and you're still like, no one even talks to me, well, get up and go talk to someone, Right? That's a two-way street. Go meet some people. Get plugged in. Find a community. Get to know one another. It'll change everything for you. Next up, awesome couple, Jim and Bobby Reed. Uh, we've been volunteering here for years and years. We started out with ushering. For 1981. Uh, yeah, in the early 80s. And then we had jobs that... Uh, took us away from church a lot on Sundays, especially the last few years that we worked with the inventory company. But that was, and we really couldn't commit to anything because we never knew where we were gonna be. But once we got retired three years ago, we said, okay, we, we wanna work in the church and we pretty much do whatever anybody asks us to do. For me, it was Bobby, my wife. She'd come home and say, they need somebody to do this. What do you think about you know, helping out? I'd say, well, are you going to be in on it? And if she said yes, I'll say, well, I'll help you do what I can for you. Yeah, and with me, it was, once I was you know, done work and retired, it was like, I'm available, and I never turn anybody down. Because somebody has to do it. And when you get a church this big, it won't uh, run by itself. It takes a lot of volunteers, people behind the scenes. 
One thing that I got a lot out of was volunteering with the Mums Club and Dinner and a Movie. Uh, we got to know the little kids and we all got to know their mothers and fathers. Uh, that we didn't know their names, like we have a lot of new people in our church, which just is wonderful, but we don't know all their names and stuff, but working at those two things, uh, the preschoolers and the elementary kids, we've got to know a lot of the younger people that is in our church, and we like that. Okay. Well, a church this big needs a lot of volunteers to run. If nobody volunteers, we wouldn't have any programs in our church. And everybody says, well, you do too much. And I'm, I don't think I do, but anyway, if you come to this church then and you're not volunteering, then maybe you should get your name in to do something. Because it takes a lot of people to keep everything running. But at the same time, people, some people won't volunteer to do anything. But if you ask them to do something, it's a totally different story. Nine times out of ten, they'll do it, but they just won't volunteer to do it. It's like a wheelbarrow, they have to be pushed to get a little bit, I guess. That's awesome. I love, I love, and you have to understand, we didn't tell people what to say, right? We didn't script these for them, they're not reading them, right? I love what she said, well, when I retired, I was like, well, what more can I do? Right, when I was done work, I was like, well, what work can I do? I love that. That is such a good attitude because you hear the line, and I've heard this many times, not even just from seniors, but all age groups, oh, I did my time. What? No, you can say that if you've been to prison, <laughs> but then not, when, not when it comes to kingdom work, not when it comes to the church, I did my time. No, you didn't. You're, you're not too old to be, you're just done. You don't age out of ministry. This is something you carry with you and you do as long as you can. And I love that they're so committed. They're like, oh, I'm done work. I have more time to get to work. I love it. Good stuff. Uh, we're going to hear from another married couple, this time in a different age bracket, but still serving at the church. Awesome, awesome people. This is Kirk and Julie Gormley. So I guess we, uh, we started serving in the nursery basically because when we first started coming to Cross Point was shortly after we had our second daughter, Lily. So we remembered how nice it was to be able to take our children down to the nursery to drop them off and know they were well taken care of. And in that time, we as a couple could enjoy the sermon and you know get the most of that we could out of it and not be you know worried about a child screaming in our lap things like that so we just wanted to give back in that way so that other people could have the same opportunity and be able to get as much out of the message as we were able to get so I guess that's why we decided to you know start helping out in the nursery when we did yeah, and our connection really was Ryan and Angela Cochran because they were in the nursery and so we were taking our kids down to them and I had um, got to know Angela pretty well and wanted to help her out in there so that's probably who were a major influence for serving in the nursery. It's nice to serve as a couple because in a run of a week when you're running in multiple different directions and being able to be there as a couple working together um, and serving others within our church so that they can be able to worship God without distraction. I mean, serve I together know. basically because, you know, 
we got into it together and just kept doing it together. It's kind of nice to spend time with him. It is nice to spend time with him. Um, so that hour we serve in the nursery is, you know, time spent together in our busy lives as well. You know, I mean, we're giving back to our church and our church family at the same time, but it's also, you know, an hour we get to hang out with each other on top of all the other time. With other people's kiddos. Yeah, with other people's kiddos. It's awesome. See, I, I love Kirk and Julie and their commitment to serve one because they're in that age group where you could easily say, no, nah, I'm too busy. We're working, we got kids, we're running on all kinds of different directions, but they don't. They don't say that. They, they get plugged right in. They're serving in the nursery. Their kids aren't even in nursery anymore. Their kids have kind of moved on to the older age groups, and they're still in there. You know who you don't expect to see in the nursery? A guy like Kirk, right? Like a dude in his mid-30s. Watched him go downstairs last week to the nursery with two coffees in his hands. Like, here we go. It's go time, right? And I love, I love that they do it together as a couple. You want to grow in your marriage? Serve the church together. It, it'll change you. And, and I bet it's changed and helped their marriage and it's helped them. It's like a date every week for an hour, right? That's right. <laughs> it's awesome. It's awesome. You're not too busy to serve. You can serve in the nursery regardless of your age or your kid's age. And I love that they said they did it because they liked coming to church when they were first coming and knowing their kids were somewhere else that they could sit and listen. And it's hard to come to church when you're holding a baby on your lap. And so they said, well, I want to do that for other people. It mattered to us. And so their, their heart is in service. Uh, now we're going to hear from the one and only Ben Cochran. I'd say it started with uh, Mark Brewer, actually, when he was the youth pastor here at the church. I had all kinds of like different ideas of what Christianity is or isn't. And you know, just through hearing some of the stuff that he said, I got... I think more clear ideas of what those were or could be or should be and through that I just I felt compelled like okay I, I think I can join in on this I think I can do this I might not be like feel like I'm always ready but I think I can do this and since then I think that many people have inspired me along the way like everywhere I serve I find people who can inspire me to, to continue to serve and so it just doesn't really stop. I serve in First Impressions, Crosspoint Kids, uh, any other random things that you might see me doing on any given time. I do it um, because I see a need. And, and the need isn't necessarily that I see a program that needs to be filled, but a person or people that need to be served or need to be reached or need to feel um, something that they haven't felt in a while, which is the love of Jesus. awesome. I remember I was a youth pastor here, it was 12 or 13 years ago, and I had this new kid come to youth one night, and uh, he was a, you know, kind of a bigger guy, he had really long, like, dark black hair, said his name was Ben, and uh, as far as we knew, I don't think he was a Christian at that time, but he showed up at youth, and, and after youth night ended, everyone was just gone. The place was a disaster, youth night, and everyone had gone, including my leaders, youth night. You know who you are. And this kid was the only one left, and it was Ben. And he said, you need a hand? He hasn't stopped asking that question in about 12 or 13 years. And through all of his service, 
Ben has obviously come to know Jesus, got called into ministry, went to Bible college, and he's serving in a church now, and it's awesome. But listen, when he says he sees a need and he does it, what Ben means isn't, I see something I like. It isn't, I see something I'm good at. I see something that I, he just sees a need, and he goes, well, I can do that. And it's so good to be able to know when you're looking around going, who can I get to do that? I can always answer with Ben. <laughs> it's like, oh, I got Ben. We can ask him to do that. And, and he'll just do it. He sees a need. You don't have to be a professional, right? He's like, well, if you need me to make a graphic for your artwork, that's what he does. If you need me to shake hands, I'll do it. You need me in kids' ministry, I'll do that. If you need me to take the offering, I'll do it. I think he did all four of those things today alone. Service is just in his DNA. Uh, last person you're going to hear from today is, uh, I don't think he's here today. You'll recognize him. His name's Chad. So when I first started playing music and, and noticed it was that I had a facility for it, maybe more than, than other things I had tried, um, you know, it, it came easily to me, naturally. Uh, without even putting as, as much effort maybe as, as other people. And my mom had said, you know, this is a, a God-given talent. You should uh, you know, see what you can do with it. And I mean, I took that for her saying something nice to me. And I was like, okay, it's, it's a God-given talent. I can do something and I'm, and I'm good at it easily. It was great. And I, and I went with that for a bit and, you know, played somewhat professionally for a while. Um, easy way to make money. And then when I started coming to... Uh, Crosspoint, of course, one of the first things you notice is, is, is the band being quite different than what you've been used to. Um, thought, well, hey, I, I, can, I can do that. Um, turned out to be a little harder than what I expected, but, uh, you know, I, when I started taking part in, in the Crosspoint uh, worship ministry, um, I think that I, I kind of did it more as a, a, a one-way thing, I, I, like I would have done a gig where that I went up and I played the music and I, and I hope you liked it. Um, but that really only lasted maybe like maybe one week or two weeks and that it was the part that was different for me was um, that it was much more involved in the the, the the worship side of things right that there was there was a church involved in playing music and uh, I found myself not just going from not just wanting to go to play music but wanting to go to be part of that whole ministry and that and that uh that it actually it became a, a two-way thing like that i was playing music and enjoying playing music like i always do but that there was the other side of it that i was becoming part of the the larger uh idea that that the worship ministry is doing um and i and i just felt myself becoming a stronger part of the church so it became two ways in that, you know, I was of course being a part of something, helping the church out, but it was really helping me too, and more than what I expected. Uh, it's been a pretty good uh, way for me to grow here, I find. So, um, you know, there's been challenges, and I, and I find some of the challenges I've had in the church since I've been here have worked themselves out uh, as, as being part of the, the worship ministry. Yeah. It's awesome. I love Chad's story. When Chad started playing bass with us, he wasn't a Christian, uh, but we needed a bass player, and he was a bass player, and it all worked out one day. 
and he found himself up there. And, and I remember as we began chatting with him and talking through things with him, the day that he kind of said, I think I'm going to make this decision. And he was in the office at lunch with Jamie and I, and we were having pizza. He ate a whole pizza, and we watched him in the office one day. And, uh, and, and he, he made that decision, and now their whole family comes here, and they're plugged in, and it's awesome. But I love that he recognized that, that music entirely changed for him, and it went from being, oh, good job, I hope you liked that, to, no, God gave me this gift, and I wasn't even sure why, but it's because I get to be a part of something that's bigger than me now. I get to be a part of something where I don't even just play music just to play music, but I do it because it, it helps the bigger picture and the bigger body, and it becomes an act of worship. It changed, literally, it changed his entire life and his family's. It's awesome. Those are just five examples of the tons of people in this church who have held spears for us to help us accomplish our vision. And we pretty much, with all of those videos, covered all of our excuses that was intentional. You aren't too quiet. You're not too old. You're not too busy. You don't have to be trained. And you don't even have to be super spiritual to get your foot in the door and start serving in some capacity. We are about to enter into a busy season. It's going to be a crazy fall, a bunch of services and a new campus. And we need the church to step up and say, I'll be a part of this. I'll hold spears. I'll do whatever it takes. Because listen, it's not just about building the wall. It's not just about shaking hand. It's not just about pouring coffee. It's about looking at that number, 55,000, and all coming together and saying, I'll do what it takes to make that smaller. I'll do what it takes for the bigger vision, for the bigger picture, even if it doesn't seem fun or glamorous or I'm not ready or I'm whatever, I'll step up and I'll do whatever it takes. It's about our vision to make Jesus famous. And so we're inviting you to be a part of that. And listen, if, if you're here today and you don't call this place your home, if you're visiting, traveling through whatever, the, the same sermon, the same scriptures apply to you wherever you serve. Go serve in your church somewhere. Go serve in the kingdom somewhere, right? But you will get out of church what you put into church, always. You'll get out of this what you put into it. And if you want to stand on the sidelines and be a spectator, fine, but you will only get a limited experience of what it means to be in the body of Christ. So, on your seats or in or around there somewhere, there is a sheet of paper that looks a little bit like this. Um, we would love for you to fill this out. Uh, there are pens in the chairs. Some people have pens in their purse. You might have a pen somewhere, wherever it is. Um, we want you to fill this out. If there are not enough, there are some out in the lobby, okay? And instead of saying, hey, you should take this home and fill it out, you won't. It will become one of the 400 pieces of clutter on your counter. We're literally going to fill it out right now. We're going to put music on. You're going to grab a pen, and you're going to fill out a little card. And we're all watching to see who leaves before you can do this. We're watching you. Um, and so we're, we're going to close service in a few minutes. But right now, we're going to put some music on. This is your chance to be a part of the kingdom. It's your chance to be a part of a vision. It's your chance to get plugged in and meet some people. And so cue the music, grab a pen, fill a card out, and then I'll wrap things up in just a minute.
And just so you know, when you sign this, this isn't like writing in concrete, sign on the dotted line. This is just merely, I'm interested in doing this. Someone will get in contact with you, all right? So this, this doesn't need to be daunting. Even if you just have questions, you can fill this out. And so if you've done that, if you're still doing that, continue to do that, uh, what we'd like for you to do is just leave them on your chair. Okay, so when you leave today, just leave that on your chair. We've got people who are going to come collect those and gather those, and then we're going to be in touch with you. And uh, guys, next week's a big weekend for us. Saturday night, 6 o'clock, two Sunday mornings. We're going to start our Imagine Again series. We're going to do some big dreaming and some big praying, and uh, we're expecting God to speak to us in some exciting ways. Get the word out. Bring some people with you. It's going to be an awesome time. And so God bless. We love you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next weekend. If you need to keep doing paperwork, do it. And uh, thanks. See you next weekend.